Welcome to Mostly Books Meets. We're the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop in Abingdon. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life, and we hope you'll join us for the journey. It is my great pleasure to welcome onto the podcast this week, not one, but two authors, Jenny Bayliss and Karen Swan, who are joining us for this holly jolly Christmas Mostly Books Meet special. Jenny Bayliss is the author of The Twelve Dates of Christmas and The Winter of Second Chances, and her latest book is the wonderful Meet Me Under the Mistletoe. Karen Swan is the author of this year's The Last Summer, which is the first in the five-book Wild Isle series, and has now treated us to a second book this year, The Brilliant The Christmas Postcards. Jenny Bayliss and Karen Swan, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Thank you. Hello. Hi, Jack. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited to have two guests on today. So as you know, on Mostly Books Meets, we love to talk to authors about the books that they love, the books that have shaped them. Jenny, if we start with you as a child, we'd love to sort of start in those sort of formative early years. Were you much of a reader? Were you a passionate reader or or, or did that come later on? I loved reading and both my parents used to read to me every night and my my dad especially and he would do all the voices so books were always like a you know I I really loved reading from a from a young age and my a lot of my memories are of them reading books to me oh wonderful okay so really I think when when you know someone when you're a kid who does you know who can do the voices and really sort of puts their all into it I don't know that's always such a magical uh, experience and Karen how about you were you much of a, a reader when you were younger do you know what I really was, but I didn't necessarily think of myself as bookish. Mm. I was always reading. I mean, one of my earliest memories is of being such a geek. Actually, I was about five or so, going up to my teacher at break time and asking if I could please have the next book in the Janet and John series, <laughs> <laughs> because I was sort of moving through so quickly. And, you know, I, I was a kid of the 80s, you know, obviously long, long before the internet, frankly, long before MTV. And I used to just go to my local library and I would sit on the floor in the library next to the, the revolving bookcases and, uh, and I'd pick up books and I would just start reading and I would sort of sit there all day. And I honestly thought that was quite a normal thing to do. <laughs> Certainly with hindsight, I think maybe that is, that's quite bookwormish, but yes, it yeah, was just but- what I did. <laughs> At the, you know, uh, that's, you know, the wonderful thing about kids, they just sort of enjoy what they enjoy without thinking too much about it. And it's um, exactly. yeah, it's o- only as you get older that you look back and think, oh, I was I was a nerd, I suppose you yeah. might say. Or, yeah. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> exactly. all, that's all right. We, we like nerds here. We're all four nerds and the bookish here. And, uh, and Jenny, from your early times reading, are there any books that particularly stand out for you that you enjoyed? Definitely The Worst Witch. That was the first book that I sort of read, like, all by myself. Mm. But The Compton and the Fox, my dad used to read to me all the time. And so that was also a comfort book that if I ever just needed a moment, I'd just go and read The the Compton and the Fox. So, yeah, but The Worst Witch was my enduring love for many years until I was far too old to be reading it, really. Oh, but I think... Yeah, I was at a, a, a conference over the weekend and, you know, one point that came up a lot, which I agree with, is I think, you know, children's books, they are for everyone. I think when you're younger, you have that idea that, you know, oh, I'm too old to be reading this now. But if anything, it comes full circle as, as you sort of get older and you don't really care about, you know, whether something's the, the right age for you. You actually think, no, do you want? I will read that now because a good read is, is a good read at the end of the day. So, yeah, The Worst Witch, uh, still a great, you know, a great classic for us and still one that we, we sell quite regularly at the shop. And Karen, how about you? Any, any titles that particularly stand out for you? Well, I was, I was really dog obsessed as well as um, book obsessed when I was little. Still am, really. I'm still that, that person. And so I was always reading animal books. So I was, I would read Lassie. I would read 
The Animals of Farthing Wood was one I remember. Uh, the incredible journey I was obsessed with about these, you know, the owners move home and the dogs make this incredible journey. Uh, what seemed like across America. But then I got to Watership Down. <laughs> and and I, I came to an abrupt halt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> On that particular genre. <laughs> it was pretty brutal. Oh, yeah. Watership Down is, uh, you never forget the first time that you've read Watership <laughs> Down. It's uh, an early trauma, I think, for many for many readers, you know. Exactly. But, uh, but an important one and a beautifully written one. Either of you, do you think there are any particular sort of things you looked for in stories uh, as a child? Any sort of themes that you feel... Um, crop up, such as Karen, for you, you know, your love of um, uh, of animals. Jenny, do you feel there was any, you know, adventure or or any sort of genres that you, you reached for then? Um, I think it was, I liked anything witchy, anything spooky. Yeah. Shirley Hughes wrote an amazing book called It's Too Frightening for Me. And I thought it was the best thing I'd ever read. So yeah, anything spooky. And I've sort of continued on with that, really. I still like that kind of stuff. But I used to like um, the Blackberry Farm books. So they were about sort of naughty animals. So I liked those. And there was George the Kitten. And then when I was, as soon as I was old enough, I got a cat and called it George. So yes, those, yeah, those were the ones that caught your eye if you're in a library or, or, um, or a bookshop. And Karen, anything other than the animals? Was there any other sort of genres or, or themes that caught young Karen's attention? Well... Once I'd sort of gone over the trauma of Watership Down, I, I then diversified. And, and really, I would pick up anything that was lying around. Mm. Um, and that would include, you know, anything my mother was reading. It was pretty diverse. I do remember when I hit about 11, I discovered the Sweet Valley High books, which were just, I mean, honestly, I look back now, and they're hilarious. But actually, for a very shy girl with braces who went to an all-girls school, the idea of this sort of California glamour of these two high school twins, you know, it was such an escape. It was so different to my reality. And of course, that was a series. And, I, and the thrill of when you find a world you want to go into and you find characters that you aspire to, even if you don't relate to them. It was, I mean, that was why I would spend so much time sitting on the library floor, because I could get through about four of those books a day. <laughs> I would just sort of, uh, you know, go into those. So then I got really into series of books and, um, you know, really enjoyed staying with characters for as long as I could. And that, you know, that escapism is so important and so formative. And I love also the contrast between sort of the escapism of, uh, you know, a Californian school or it sounds like sort of castles and witches for you, Jenny. You know, there's but but that's the wonderful thing. There's so many worlds to escape to. And um, particularly for children, you sort of enjoy exploring all those different areas and then finding finding the one that you think, oh, this is this is a world I want to spend, you know, a good few books in. And that's yeah. always an exciting moment. When my daughter sort of hit the same age, I actually bought her as many of the Sweet Valley High books as I could with the original covers that I actually could still remember. Oh, amazing. And, and again, she just got really into them. They were just right for that age group. They were very innocent and escapist and glamorous. And, and it was lovely watching her. You know, and her life is a lot more glamorous than mine ever used to be at that age, but, <laughs> <laughs> tragically. Um, but, you know, it, it gave her what it had given me. And that was so nice to see. Yes, because I think that's an interesting thing. Because, of course, you know, kids these days, you know, there's there's multiple forms of escapism, particularly, you know, in the age of the Internet, mobile phones and things like that. So books have to vie with that a little bit. And we sometimes find that in a child's teenage years that there can be a, a little bit of a drop off in reading yeah and then they sort of get back to it later on but that seems to be true even sort of pre-internet age i feel uh, you know or not pre-internet but you know it's everywhere these days but you know sort of when it was not as accessible and jenny did your love of reading did that continue sort of strongly through your teenage years or did you ever sort of take a break and rediscover it it sort of carried on during my teen years, but then it did drop off when I started to go to parties. So I think it probably dropped off from when I was about 16. And then I had my first son when I was 20. And after that, I just didn't read. I read to him all the time, but I didn't really read for myself because I just there wasn't the time. And if there was ever time, I just wanted to 
close my eyes. So I, I really got back into reading again once he was a little bit older and, you know, and then I had my next son and yeah, then the whole cycle started again. Yeah. <laughs> and how about you, Karen? Uh, well, tragically, I still wasn't going to parties much in my <laughs> teenage years. I was still stuck at this rotten school where there was just no social life going on. So I actually got more and more into books and I started moving more into uh, the classics and sort of the literary genre. And I ended up going to uni and reading English. So I was I was reading, you know, a lot throughout those years. Obviously, all the Jane Austens who to this day remains my literary icon. I just love that woman's wry tone and sarcasm. And yes, and just sort of really went through what you would consider to be the English classics. So that by the time I got to uni, I'd, I'd read an awful lot. But, you know, had I had a more fun teenagehood, <laughs> I like to think I, I might have dropped off a bit. <laughs> but no, it stayed, stayed pretty diligent by the sounds of it. And yeah. particularly going there, there always seems to be a period for readers where they start exploring the classics. And that could be a really interesting time because you find things that you love. But then also there's the inevitable moment where you stumble across something that you know is considered a classic and you think, actually, this isn't for me. And initially you can be a bit you can feel like it's a fault with you that, you know, that, oh, I, you know, I'm not kind of smart enough to appreciate it. But I think you sort of, you know, over time realise, oh, it, it's OK to have the things that you like and the things um, that you don't. And Jenny, did you ever sort of go through one of those sort of post or pre kids? Did you look through the classics and kind of work out, you know, what was and what wasn't for you? I did. I did. So, I mean, like Karen, I completely fell in love with Jane Austen. Pride and Prejudice is still like one of my favourite books, you know, ever. And I sort of read some Dickens, but I still stumbled on Bleak House. I still haven't. There are some that I still haven't managed to to read. But, you know, H.G. Wells and Arthur Conan Doyle. And I just sort of, yeah, I went through a phase where I just suddenly was hoovering up. You know, I'd left my Nancy Drew days behind and I was just hoovering up the classics for a long time. Yeah. And that once you've done that, I think they do become favourites. So, I mean, like, you know, one of my comfort books now is The War of the Worlds. I, that's probably not very comfy for many people. But for me, yeah, but... that's like, oh, I'm a bit stressed. Lovely. Let's read some yeah. Cozy Martians. <laughs> Forget Cozy Crime. Cozy Martians is the next, uh, is the exactly. next uh, publishing craze. Yeah. Someone tell Richard. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Someone to, no, don't tell Richard. They'll be, they'll, tell they'll Richard. be, yes. Yeah, he can have the Cozy Crime. We'll get, we'll give someone else the, uh, the, the Cozy Martians. Yes. Now, Jane Austen, yeah. I also have to absolutely agree with that. I think every time I pick up a, a Jane Austen novel, I, I'm struck with, firstly, how readable it is. You know, the style is just, it's so elegant, it's so well written that it just flows. You know, it, it almost doesn't feel like reading. You're just kind of engaging with the story. And as you said, Karen, the sarcasm, the character observations, you know, the observations of human character are just absolutely fantastic. And Jenny, also, I struggled with Bleak House and have also not finished Bleak House. Oh, good. It's, that um, makes me feel better. Yes. <laughs> I know. I mean, no to any Dickens fans listening to this, you know, particularly for a Christmas special one, because obviously The Christmas Carol, which is an absolute classic, which I do enjoy, is brilliant. But yes, yeah, Bleak House, yeah, is one. Um, all that fog at the beginning, it was a struggle for me. And of course, that's an interesting thing. You, you've both sort of... Um, I'm both right in saying that you're both, you know, parents. And I think that's a thing that's very interesting for reading as well, because it's something we see in the shop is, you know, for reading, actually a lot of reading that parents come across is the books that they're reading with their children and that they're or they're, you know, or, or reading to their children. And so, again, there's that sort of second enjoyment of children's publishing and, and fiction. And I think, you know, some of the best books out there sort of know that they're appealing to the parents as well, that there's, you know, a few things in there for, for the parents who are enjoying them. Hugely. My son has, um, ne would never consider himself a reader, but he would say that some of his strongest childhood memories are of me reading to him. And I remember I was reading The Northern Lights to him and, well, to him and his brother and sister. And we were getting to the end and I was beginning to cry because I was so emotional about mm. it. And I remember this look on his face to see his, his mum crying 
just from reading a book. And he was sort of a bit baffled that a book could do that to you, that it could make his mummy, his this grown woman, burst into tears. But I was so sort of obviously, you know, absorbed into that world. And it has been one of my greatest joys of motherhood, reading books to them. And they've each got a particular book that absolutely reminds them of, you know, being little, being read to. And they only need to look at it and they're sort of, they've got that really strong association and all those memories. And I love it so much. Oh, yes, it's true. Yeah, those books that actually you look at. And I don't know, it's it can be almost emotional because you remember how you much you loved it as a child. For me, a title that always says that is as... Um, I've forgotten the title now, which is terrible. I'm a bookseller, for goodness sake. Um, it, it's, tell, yeah, tell me how much I love you or, or or the one with the two rabbits where they're sort of saying, I love oh, you to the moon and yes, back. Yes, yes. I think that's the... That's it, yes. A, a, yeah, listeners can um, email in and tell me if I've got I've got the title wrong. <laughs> uh, there. Exactly. But that one, yes, I look at that and there's always a part of my, you know, heart that sort of goes back to being a child. And Jenny, any any sort of um, ones that stuck out from... Uh, from reading reading to your kids or any sort of favourites for them? They liked... So I went through a phase of trying to pick up all the old Ladybird books that I used to read. Oh, and I yes. used to find them yeah. in a second-hand shop. So I would, they would have Bobby Bushtail and the two naughty kittens and all that sort of thing. So I used to read those to them a lot. And then we went through the Harry Potters, obviously. And um, my youngest son was really into Charlie Higson books mm. and oh, yes, yeah. Anthony Horowitz books as well which so I feel like I've done all the Anthony Horowitz's because I sort of love him as a as an adult author as well yes yeah yeah um but I read a, a, such a lot of middle grade anyway because I write middle grade books as well so I am constantly reading middle grade so it's wonderful because not only are they really excellent and underrated books but they're just so much fun and you know, and I've I've reached the age now where I don't even care if I'm quite blatantly reading The Haunting of Aveline Jones or something yeah, of course. in the doctor's surgery. And I just think, yeah, what ifs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judge me if you will. You're encouraging people to ask you, you know, are you reading a children's book? So you can go, yes, I am actually. And you should be too. Yes. There was that wonderful book uh, that came out a couple of years ago by Catherine Rundell, which was about how everyone should read children's books and that I'm is, obsessed yeah, with her so, so. <laughs> I know I'm I'm literally <laughs> obsessed with her I would your face her. changed quite dramatically then I think you I really are her. yes I love her so much because what I love about her particularly for, uh, for girls is that her heroines are they're tomboys you know they're not pretty princessy girls you know they're they're wild they're quite feral and I just loved reading these characters to my daughter and you know, the way she gets language. I remember in um, The Rooftoppers, there's a scene where, you know, they're jumping between the roofs mm. of Paris and she's asking, you know, how far is it we have to jump? And the boy who lives on the roof says, it's about the length of a pig. And I thought, oh God, you so understand how kids think. You know, uh, normally an adult writer would go, oh, it's about a meter, you know? But yes, she just yes. absolutely knew that for a child... They wouldn't think in that way, especially a child, who, you know, without an education, without parents, you know, living on a roof. It's about the length of a pig. And I just I just think she is absolutely brilliant. Mm. It's it's a real yeah, it's a real skill writing for uh, children. I'm sure, Jenny, this is something you can sort of talk about more is because I imagine now I don't I'm not a writer. I'm a you know, I'm a bookseller. I imagine, you know, there's two quite different minds. You're, you know, when you're a writer, you're, you know, part of that is, I'm sure, sort of going into different minds, different worlds, thinking from different people. Jenny, do you find there's two, do you have sort of two different brains, as it were, for writing for adults or writing for children? Or, or, or is that a silly thing to say? You know, is, no, it, no, is it just the one mind? It's true. No, it, it is It is two brains. For children's books, I feel you have to be, I can let my imagination be a bit more wild and it feels much freer and it, it is yeah it's, it's very different mindset when I go into adult books so if I'm jumping from having written a you know done a draft for a children's book and then I go into <clears throat> I know I've got to start on my adult book I have to leave a couple of days because otherwise it just doesn't work because I'm, I'm all you know I'm not in the right headspace yet yeah I've got so much respect for you for being able to jump between you know the genres like that because I really don't think I could do it at all. I think it's amazing that you can. 
I'm very jealous. Oh, <laughs> I would thank love you. To, no, I'd love to write it. <laughs> In fact, when I first said I was going to write a book, I thought I would write a, a children's book. And I just realised I just couldn't, I couldn't make that leap, you know, to their consciousness. So, you know, when I see it done really well, I'm like, oh, I wish I could. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Well, maybe what might not seem possible now might do in the future. You know, things, you know, things do change. So maybe we will see a, a, a children's book from Karen Swan in the future. That would, well, you know, my kids slightly accusingly say to me, Mummy, you said you were going to write a book for us. <laughs> I, I feel so bad. But now I'm like, well, you're 20, 18 and 16. I'm not sure you care in the same way yeah. anymore, <laughs> to be oh. honest. There's no greater uh, people to put the pressure on than family. They 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 know <laughs> exactly. how to do it like no one else. Yes. They'll say what no one else, you know, even a publisher or a publicist would never say to you. Exactly. You can a, 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 assure that your family will. So we discussed, you know, the wonderful world of sort of children's books. But now going into the future, you're both successful uh, writers. And as well as, you know, I'm sure reading and, you know, research for your own books that you manage to make time for your own reading as well, for reading, you know, just for enjoyment. Are there any sort of titles that you've recently read that really spoke to you that you really enjoyed? Jenny, we'll, we'll start with you again. Anything from your recent read list? Well, actually, it was a, a middle grade book. I mean, I did just read the um, the latest Richard Osman, which is obviously, you know, brilliant. He's just hilarious. Um, but I read a book called The Haunting of Tyrese Walker by J.P. Rose, and it was so beautiful. It was set in Jamaica, um, and it was about Jamaican ghosts and sort of history and legend and myth, but it was also centred around loss, and this um, Tyrese had lost his father, and he, it was how he wasn't dealing with his grief because he couldn't, and that meant that the ghosts sort of latched onto him because of his grief. And it was just, it was one of those books that absolutely breaks your heart, but also just fills you up as well. It was, it just had everything, but it was so emotionally deep. It was really, really good. I'd recommend it to, you know, grown-ups and children. Mm. You've sold it to me, for <laughs> sure, from that, yeah, from that description. Absolutely. And uh, Karen, how about yourself? Well, I've just finished. Um, I tend not to read uh, um, other people's books when I'm writing because I have this this real fear that I'm going to absorb their tone and also steal all their work, you know, just yeah. completely <laughs> rehash it as my own. So I, I really I'm so paranoid about it that I don't. So the book and I have just had a very intense six month work period that only ended yesterday. So the only books I've read recently have, have been a trilogy by um, this gentleman called Finley J. MacDonald. And it's, it's actually, they're scenes from a Hebridean boyhood. And it was, it was sort of background research for my summer series, which is set in 1930 in the Outer Hebrides. And I was wanting to just get, I just wanted sort of, you know, background scenes of, you know, Hebridean life, you know, the crofting community, but also the tone of the 1930s. And what I wasn't expecting was how funny it would be, just the community spirit, the jokes that they would play. I thought, God, they were so inventive. And there was something, and you know, these were real life events that he was recounting. He's died now, but he was an excellent writer. And, you know, given that this man grew up on a croft in the 1930s on the Isle of Harris, you know, his education would, you know, not, not have been you know, I, I doubt, I don't think he would have gone, for example, to university, but he was so articulate and so well read and had this beautiful style. And he was recounting these wonderful escapades. And I wanted so badly to put them in my book because I was like, this is just so good. It's so good. And I was like, well, it's just like recounting someone else's story. And I couldn't bring myself to do it because I thought, no, that's that's stealing from him. He's put it in his book. I can't use it. But it was it was really wonderful just to see, you know, the the mischief on these aisles at that time. And given that I was reading them for research purposes, I didn't expect to enjoy them so much. I really came away just thinking, you know, I want that the, uh, there was actually a TV series made on these three books. And uh, I've been trying to find it. BBC iPlayer says it has it, but it's not available at the moment. So I might have to buy a DVD player so that I could buy a DVD to watch it. <laughs> 
you're so yes yeah, so so in need to see the uh, yeah. <laughs> the tv the tv adaptation that you're yeah willing to willing to go back to dvds i've read all the books i just want more so i've got yes, to do that yeah <laughs> You know, and of course that's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm sure that's hard for any writer not to absorb what they read in some way. And I think I think that's, you know, from other authors that I've read to a degree, that is a natural part of writing, you know, not absorbing, you know, entire <laughs> entire sort of plot points or like chapters <laughs> or whatnot. But, you know, j just the kind of the enjoyment that you get from reading, even just the energy from that, you know, is, um, is kind of absorbed. And then I think put sort of into the writing. Do you find that Jenny, you know, if you, if you've read a, a book that you've really enjoyed, that does it sort of, you know, gear you up ready to kind of, you know, tell your own story? Yeah, sometimes it can, um, particularly if you've really loved someone's writing style. And I must admit, yeah, I have sort of, I've, I've started writing and then I've sort of thought, oh, no, hang on a minute. That's not necessarily my voice. That's and mm, so, yeah. you know, so although I'm not taking what they've written in any way, I'm I'm I sort of almost yeah have to be careful that I don't write in their voice um, and just write in my own. If that makes sense. Mm, no, that, that <laughs> does. It makes me think of. Um, makes me think of I don't know is it is is it like tuning a radio almost that you know you have a sort of a frequency that you know oh that's me like that's me there but you know that there's this kind of gray area either side where you're like oh that that's sort of me but maybe it's kind of you know going elsewhere as well yeah I think that's that's a really good way of describing it yeah so luckily it hasn't happened very often but every now and again I've had to go whoop nope <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I felt I feel as well. Sorry to explain to I don't know younger listeners. You used to have to tune a radio. I feel we're already getting to a point where, unfortunately, I think there'll be people who'd go, "Oh, what, what is he what talking do you mean about?" Tune? Yes, what do you mean tune a radio? You yes. just press the button. No, yeah. uh, yes, what's a radio? Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even worse. Uh, exactly. Uh, yes. Well, also, um, I've realised you know this is this is a. a a, a Christmas special of the episode as well. I have prepared some sort of quick Christmas questions for the both of you. Uh, the first one is to you, Karen. Um, a favourite Christmas food? Oh, it has to be a mince pie. I mean, I will not look at a mince pie before the 1st of December. I feel absolute fury if I see them, you know, <laughs> from like September onwards. I'm like, why are you doing this? And I yeah. will look away with my, my nose in the air. But come the 1st of December, I will be loading up my trolley. And, and then I just gorge for the entire month of December. And then come January, I know I don't want to see it again for another 11 months. It's Quite just right. Christmas to me. It's just festive spirit. Yes. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think there's a point where the mince pie hunger kicks in. <laughs> Yeah. And once that kicks in, it's, you know, it it's there and you can't, you can't, no amount of mince pies will quench it. Yeah. And for you, Jenny, my, my question for you is a favourite Christmas song, a favourite Christmas tune. Oh, um, there's a Christmas tune called Santa's Coming for Us by Sia. And it's, I just, I love it. I love it so much. I mean, I was always a fat, you know, I've, I sort of, I like most Christmas music, to be fair. Yep. I really, really gorge on it. But yeah, that one is just joy. It's so good. You should I don't listen think, to it. Uh, uh, yes, I, I don't think I've come across that one. I'm going to have to look that up because I like some of them, uh, Sia's previous songs. So yeah, that's a complete new one to me. I don't know. That's <laughs> nice. I wasn't, you know, with these things, you, uh, I'm not, I wasn't necessarily expected to come across something, um, you know, I hadn't. So I will be looking that one up after this and and give it a listen might be a bit early now for our listeners we are we are recording this in very early november so i might have to might have to leave it for a couple of weeks but um yes we don't want to peak too soon do we no exactly <laughs> yes exactly i don't want to set off the mince pie hunger too early no, no. um for the yeah for for my own sake and now going you know going back to books as well we have a question on our podcast, which I always feel, and I say this in every podcast, and maybe I should stop repeating myself, but I always feel slightly guilty for asking um, because it's a book that changed your life. But when I ask that, I'm also interested to hear, you know, sort of your response to that question, because for some people that means several books. It's no single book at all. It's just, you know, their reading has over time slowly affected them in ways that you can't sort of, you know, measure at any given point. But what is your response when I ask you that question? Jenny, for you, is there a single book that comes to mind or, or, is, it, or is it many? 
there's probably a few. I mean, I have like, um, there's books that broke me, which one of those was The Road by, is it called Cormac McCormack? That's Cormac name, McCarthy, yeah. yeah. McCarthy, yeah. that's it, sorry. Yeah, so that is the book that broke me. And then there is Wild by Cheryl Strayed, which just broke me and then built me back up again. That was my first introduction to memoir. I'd never read any memoir at all. Purposely always steered clear of it for some reason. I think it's because I was always put off by the things you see in in the shops where it's like, you know, tragic childhoods and I'd be all like, no. So, but this was because I went to uni as a mature student. And so we did a section on, we did a module on memoir and Wild was the one I read and it just, it was so wonderful. It was such a feeling of second chances and hopes and, you know, overcoming trials. And, and then at the end of it, I was sitting, I was in the cafeteria and I was reading it in the university cafeteria and, I finished it and I was shaking because it was so good but, and I had no one to talk to about it. And you know when you've just read a really good book and you need to talk to someone about it? Yes. And I was just looking around me thinking, who, who can I go over and speak to? But and then I thought, you're already the oldest one here. You don't want to make yourself look even weirder by going up and going, has anyone read, read Wild? I really need to talk. So, yeah, that was it. That was the one for me. <laughs> shaking people being like have you read wild please you know (laughs) i need to to discuss it shockingly it's a book i've not read and i should because i actually have a friend who in the next couple of years plans to do the exact walk that um she does in wild which blows my mind because um i love i love a walk but i love a sort of gentleman uh, you know a sort of gentle kind of flat walk through you know by a river with um, a cafe at the end yes with a cafe at the end exactly <laughs> yeah. so yes yeah, so that style of walking I'm like oh wow that you know so yeah that's one that's definitely sort of you know been bumped up my to read list and Karen what what's your answer to that rather rather big question I would say it's two books or it's two books and a series the book is a fine balance by Rahinton Mystery which I actually read a long time ago, and I don't remember the finer details of it, but it's a hard read. It's not, it's not a fun book, doesn't particularly even have a happy ending, but it really sort of, it had, so, it, it, it was all about, you know, um, following some, um, some characters in India, and you really had an insight into true poverty and deprivation and oppression, and it, you had these multiple perspectives and, you know, an insight into the caste system, hierarchy, just the the things that people will do for survival. I mean, it was really a survival book, really, because this was not a book about people chasing happy endings. And it really showed me for the, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate that I've lived a very sort of uneventful life, you know, not touch wood, nothing awful or terrible has happened and so I suppose I you know I don't get the highs I don't get the lows but you know I've I've lived a a a very nice life and to to go into this world which was brutal really showed me just how life isn't fair you don't get the happy ending necessarily nonetheless you can find happiness or contentment or satisfaction within that even amid all this hardship and suffering, you can still forge a contented life. And it, 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 it sounds so dreary to say it, but I just think we are often fed this narrative of we're all, you know, the, the perfect ending, the perfect life, the happy ending. And it was just the most realistic book I'd ever read. And it stayed with me for so long. And I do sort of want to go back and read it again because I was pretty young when I read it. And I'd like to read it again now with life experience, some life experience behind me. So it's not an easy read, but I think it's a very worthwhile one. And it, it's, God, you can't stop turning the pages. I mean, it's it's just absolutely brilliantly written. The series that I really loved was Elena Ferranti's Neapolitan series. I, again, I just loved the fact that the central relationship in this series is two women's friendship and actually also their enmity. It's, again, the most realistic depiction of female friendship I've ever read. And what I love about it is that actually it's saying that it's not necessarily your romantic partner or even your your children who are going to be the most important relationship in your life. It could be a friendship. And it really 
goes through that. And again, it's quite gritty. It's about, you know, it starts off in Naples in the 1950s. Absolute uh, poverty, abuse, hard, hard reading, but so beautifully written. And you, you're just, you know, caring about these characters all the way through. And I just, again, read all the books and then had to inhale the TV adaptations, which were absolutely brilliant. They've done about the first three books, I think. And honestly, it's like, you know, just do it already. Just do yeah. the, do it, please, God, just give them to me. You know, they're so good. It's that rare example where actually the TV adaptation or the film adaptation does justice to the books. I would always choose books first, but, you know, when you've read the books and you still want to more... And, uh, you know, I just absolutely in inhale that series. And I, th I don't often tend to reread, but I, that is a series I will go back to. Yeah. And what's interesting is both of your choices strike me in the sense of, and I, this tends to come up quite a lot, is that, you know, they're all books that show the happier elements of life. You know, they, they show, and, you know, particularly, you know, when we're talking about things like The Road as well, which is, um, Karen, you were saying that, you know, your first book doesn't necessarily have a happy ending. Jenny's Choice, The Road, also is, is a book that is not necessarily a happy read. But I think that's very interesting that we tend to sort of, you know, go for these books that, you know, leave you with a kind of a big mix of emotions. You know, Jenny used this really interesting word of sort of feeling almost broken. And I find that very interesting. You know, is it a sort of a bit like when you get a sort of a, a massage that's quite sort of, you know, strong but afterwards, you're a bit <laughs> sore, but you feel like ultimately it was good for you. Like Jenny, would <laughs> yes. you say, Jenny, that's kind of the feeling? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because with The Road, it is so beautiful. It, the writing is so beautiful and yet it's such a tragic book and such a hard subject matter you know it's just there's there's really I mean it just is the punches keep on coming don't they and they just really don't stop <laughs> yeah absolutely um, yeah but at the same time you can separate it and be like this prose is incredible so yeah I think it is that it does leave you with you know I was heartbroken but also just like wow and that's a strange thing to have, I think. It's that thing, isn't it? It's, it's when someone has sort of quite, in a way you can't, I certainly couldn't express, I'm sure, you know, both of you, both of you could, but they've keyed into something that feels very sort of, you know, uh, a kind of a fundamental thing about kind of being a human being in the world or kind of, you know, in the Rhodes case, this kind of, you know, post-apocalyptic kind of landscape, but something that feels absolutely true that just rings, you know, clear as a bell. And when someone hits that, you know, it just stays with you. It doesn't matter what's happening around that, however terrible it is or however, you know, you just think, yes, this is this is it. They've caught that. I'm rambling because yeah, I'm getting excited because these no, are such, I... you know, such interesting <laughs> things to talk about. And that's one of the, one of the problems about doing a podcast is, you know, when you're talking about what you love is um, I don't really necessarily know when to shut up all of the time. Oh, no, I think we all feel that, don't we? I mean, you know, when you when you get a good book, you just want to tell the world about it. And, 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 yeah. that, and that's the best thing when someone shares with you a book that they have loved. I mean, I'm I literally practically ram books against people's chest saying, you don't talk to me until you've read this. I mean, I will say to my husband, do not look at me. Do not talk to me until you've read this book. And he's like, oh my God. And I'm like, I don't care what you're reading. Stop it right now. Right now, stop it. Read this book and then come and talk to me. Because <laughs> I have to, I have to share it. You know, I'm a book bully. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I am, you know, and I just, uh, but it's when you've tapped into something raw and honest and true, it's just such a fundamental human moment. And sometimes it's a song, sometimes it's a painting, and sometimes it's a book. And you just, it's a rare thing. You know, there's not many books that really can deliver that. And not many books are trying to. But, you know, when, when it works, it's, it feels important that, you know, you sort of share that with people in your life so you're all having this common experience. Absolutely. Again, it's like, a, you know, you're a, a book bully, Karen. And again, it makes me think of Jenny in this canteen setting of, you know, desperately <laughs> wanting to find someone who's read wild, you know. Well, it's uh, with you. I yes. Talk yeah. To you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the wonder of book clubs. You know, you it's you know, it's for things like this. It's that kind of collective exactly experience that. of reading. It's definitely, yeah. you know, reading is it's 
on your own, but it's also very social. It's deep, yes. you know, it's a deeply yeah. social thing. Yeah. Um, as is, as I sort of segue here, as is Christmas. Christmas is about being social. <laughs> I've realised we're talking about, you know, quite dark books now. And I'm like, hmm, it's, uh, yeah, we've got, um, but that's, that's fine. That's what the podcast is for. And of course, um, both of you have out this year, you know, sort of books with a festive theme, at least, or, or, or a vein within it, a kind of a, a, a seasonality to them. And Jenny, starting with you, if you could tell us about Meet Me uh, Under the Mistletoe and um, a- a- and tell our listeners about the book that you have out this year. So Meet Me Under the Mistletoe really follows Norrie's journey. Norrie is a secondhand bookseller in London and she is invited to a, a sort of week-long jolly, really, a house party at, at a castle which is in the village where she used to go to school and it's with her old friends and they they'd all sort of they were her friends from school so she had a scholarship to a private school and she obviously had all those friends there and then they as time went on they sort of separated as you do you all go your your different ways and then one of their friends took his own life a few years back and it brought the group back together and so they've all decided so they've it, in some degree they've stayed close but you know some with some more than others and then two of her friends are getting married and they've decided to have basically a reunion so they all go back to this castle and it's a lot of it I mean she does meet a handsome gardener who was happened to be that yeah absolutely I'm doing a thumbs up yeah yeah absolutely yeah so she um so he used to be her nemesis when she was at school because he was the gardener's kid and he's now the head gardener so there's sort of that side of things. And also that whole, when you're with a group of people that you were with when you were in your teens and you're, you're well, you're sort of 11 until sort of 18, you're a very different person to who you are when you're in your 30s. But in some ways you're the same and in some ways you're not. And, you know, it's like snapping back into that mould that you felt that you were in before, that people expect you to be in. and And so there's a lot of sort of, looking at how they've changed and how they haven't changed and how some of the things that were acceptable then are not acceptable now and there's sort of the the class war and I'm making I'm making it sound not very romantic at all but you know there is sort of there is a love story but I would say it's as much a love story about her friendships as it is about you know her meeting up again with Isaac who was the gardener's son you know just sort of a snotty-nosed kid when she was a kid and so, yes, and it's all set around Christmas. So, you know, there's roaring fires and um, shooting pheasants and, you know, that sort of thing. Jenny, you had me at head gardener. I'm, yes. I'm getting it. <laughs> I am reading it. <laughs> the, I just am. The, yeah, the sexy gardener has um, grabbed the attention. There. But, you know, you were saying you, you worried you weren't making it sound very romantic. But again, you know, as we've been talking about with these uh, other books that you've, you know, um, that we've read, there's that light and dark there, isn't there? There's that kind of, you know, the, the kind of joys and surprises that life throws at you, but also, you know, those sadder moments, you know, that sort of bring people together. And we'll, we'll go back to Meet Me Under the Mistletoe in a, in a moment, Jenny. But I feel that light and dark is is also true of the Christmas postcards, Karen. If you could um, if you could tell our listeners about your, your latest book. Yes, thank you. It's a slightly different book for me because I've done a his and hers perspective, which I've never done before. And I really loved it. I mean, Jane Austen always said, write about what you know. So obviously she never did the male gaze, the male male perspective. And I was like, well, if if it's, you know, we just, we do what Jane says. So I'd never done it. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But but I went rogue. And um, so I did do it. And I, I was nervous, I have to say. But so it's, very much a book of two halves and it's got two very distinct tones in it and the cover depicts this lovely country cottage and 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 that side of the book is set in Dorset and it's a woman living a really very comfortable very very attractive life when you're on the outside looking in you know the lovely home successful husband young baby and they've just had a make or break that you know the marriage is rocky there's something not quite right about it even though it all looks like it's good and they, they go on a, a sort of a luxury holiday to the Maldives and they, on their way back, they transit through Amsterdam and they do an overnight stay in Amsterdam. And so they get an Airbnb because their, their daughter is about two. So it's a long journey. They break it up for her to sleep and they stay in an Airbnb and then they check out and they, they, they oversleep and they're, they're late for their flight. And then four hours later, 
the next incumbent into the Airbnb checks in and he finds this toy that has been left behind by the previous, this other family. And any parent will tell you that, you know, when you have children, almost invariably, they will have a certain toy that like their entire being revolves around. It's not you. It's not you as their mother or their father. It is like this scrap of cloth that you're not allowed to wash and you've got to keep away from the dog. And so this, and that's definitely been the case in our, in our house and many evenings would be lost. You know, we couldn't sit down with a glass of wine and just rest for the evening because the, the toy was lost and my husband would be looking in the garden by flashlight and I would be hunting up under the sofas. And I mean, it's a tyranny. So, you know, and that was actually slightly prompted by um, a real story uh, that I saw on social media, wherein a young girl had left behind a toy in Iceland and it got picked up by a, a bus driver who was a tour guide and he took it to the airport and then someone took it with him on the plane. They all sort of managed to somehow connect. And then the father was waiting at the airport at the other end and the daughter was reunited with the toy. And I thought, God, and it was all about the kindness of strangers, but I thought, gosh, what a great way to sort of introduce people. So it's the toy mm. that sort of becomes the connection. And what happens is that the toy is picked up by this man who is traveling in the opposite direction. They're going west, he's going east. He's checked into the, the Amsterdam apartment for a night, picks up the toy, takes it with him as a lucky mascot. He's a climber and he's going to trek the Annapurna base camp uh, in Nepal in the Himalayas. So really quite different to Dorset. <laughs> and um, so, so then we, and we sort of start off with him and, and he's very mellow. He's not racing. He's not chasing the sun here. He's not desperate to get there. He's taking his time. But then we sort of, as we go through and, and, you know, contact is made between these, the family and him. And as we go through, the vibe slightly changes and we become more aware that actually he's almost like on a pilgrimage, almost on the saying goodbye. And we get to Annaburn at the base camp and, um, and actually it doesn't then stop there. And he's, because he's got the toy, what he's been doing is sending pictures and emails postcards effectively to the girl so that she is consoled while the toy is in his possession because of course he's in the Himalayas there's no FedEx there <laughs> there probably actually is but you know as far as I'm concerned there isn't um and <laughs> not in the story not in the story and so he's sending and then contact is abruptly stopped. And um, so I really loved jumping between this very cosy English countryside setting and this, you know, domestic vibration, you know, things, no, I couldn't quite put a finger on what was wrong. And then also this growing sense of peril in the Himalayas. Uh, and then this revelation of what's actually happening there and joining them together, the connection between them and the, this growing bond. So again, I'm not doing, you know, carols around the Christmas tree, but it does have, it's certainly very snowy and, and, and the Dorset scenes have got a lot of that feeling because of course they're a young family. So, um, so yes, it's, it's typical me. <laughs> it sounds wonderful, but I love that about your books, Karen, because I, I love that you will have your stories. They have light and dark and you do that so well. You, I love the way that your characters are so strong and, you know, they carry that, they can carry that story. It doesn't need to be, you know, all sort of twinkly and sort of super romantic because that, they, that romance is there, that love is there. But it, there is like, um, like you were saying, Jack, there's the light and the dark there. And I think you do that really well. Thank you. That's so lovely. Yeah, it's, I, I think I you know, drive my editor a bit mad. She's like, why can't you just have the Christmas carols around the tree? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I can't. I, the book that came out two years ago was set in Amsterdam. But um, the heroine Together was... Together at Christmas. Uh, yes. Yeah, and can she you was, tell that I'm a Karen Swan fan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but she's a war reporter with PTSD and we've got flashbacks to Syria. And... I only found out once I started writing it, the Dutch don't actually really celebrate Christmas. It's very secondary to St. Nicholas Eve and St. Nicholas Day. So I was going, 
So I'm writing a Christmas book in a country that doesn't celebrate Christmas, and my backstory is in the Middle East in a war zone. Interesting. Interesting. How am I going <laughs> to... Why, why am I doing that to myself? <laughs> I imagine the publishers being like, you know, oh, yes, yes, so Karen's doing a, you know, we're going to get a Christmas story this year. And then you come in and you're like, right, so <laughs> there's a trek through the mountains. And I think there's we have a... special meetings, like, how are we going to make this work? <laughs> She's a disaster. But I just, you've got to write what you want, haven't you? You mustn't be, condi- you, know, you know, just because it comes out at Christmas and it has that lovely cover. Of course, you're still going to give that that feeling but you know you can do more with it i just don't think i could do more than two books if i was only going to do that you know just that i mean that's just not how my brain works <laughs> it's good it's good to keep publishers on their toes as well i think Indeed. that's a writer's job and they do <laughs> yes. and and you know jenny you know in your story as well it's so evident that 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 kind of light and dark um, is there and you know and I, I know I've been saying Christmas books but I sort of like to call them kind of you know seasonal books as well because you know you you see actually books and stories sort of changing seasonally kind of through the year you, you know anyway the types of stories that you know are published at certain times and of course you know Christmas winter it's about coming together and there's many sort of cozy elements to that but there's also you know that there, there's coming together in that way Jenny you know you were saying with people that you know you may have once had a sort of a particular connection with, but maybe that connection has changed in some way over, you know, over time. Christmas itself is a time of kind of that that light and dark. And that, that seems very much sort of central to your story as well, Jenny. Yes, it is. It's balancing. And trying to be everything to everyone while still being yourself is what, you know, my character is trying to trying to fathom how to do, you know, how to be the person that her family wants to be alongside her friends who are all very different and you know trying to find yeah where she can fit in you know and still be herself because that's really hard at Christmas sometimes isn't it when you're you know trying to I mean where I'm I'm quite lucky but every now and again you know there is some sort of family politics that you're like mm, that's a bit mm. <laughs> oh oh yeah oh, no. <laughs> hide the knives yeah yeah I mean that's the thing it can be frustrating when you know our books are reduced to boy meets girl because there's always so much more human interest in there, I think. You know, be it friendship issues, family issues, you know, it's, 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 I will tend to think that the romance is fairly incidental. I mean, it is core to the story, but it's, it's not what actually the protagonists are wrestling with fundamentally. Um, I think there's always much much more going on than that. And I, I think that's what people like. Yeah, I think that there is a line, isn't there, that I find that I'm quite often treading a sort of tightrope between the romance genre and the women's fiction genre. And I I really am, you know, quite often people will say, you know, they're used to reading romance and then they'll read one of my books and they'll say, well, that was more of a women's fiction. And it's a really difficult line to tread because, I don't know, I I just find it really, yeah, I seem to be walking a, a very a very thin tightrope <laughs> between those two sets and I don't know why women's fiction can't be just all fiction really do you know why we have to sort of have one th- those two different camps what do you find that Karen yeah hugely yes it's very frustrating to be at a dinner party and you know someone who's never read your book before you know they might have seen a cover or something or you know and they say oh you know oh it's, it's boy meets girl it's like well, no, it's it was set in the Spanish Civil War and I basically taught myself an A-level on the subject. But OK, yeah, let's go with that, you know. <laughs> and it's frustrating. But then again, you know, it's... I suppose we're all guilty of it, aren't we? We just reduce things down and it, it's... Uh, I think that at this point, I've written enough books that my readers know what they're going to get with me. You know, they know I am a little bit darker in some ways. And because I do two books a year... I just feel I need to keep my brain stimulated. You know, I couldn't sustain a career if I, I would just fall into repetition, I think. I would be writing the same story and over and over. So I need to find new ways to tell stories, be it changing the format of the book, you know, his, her, or, you know, a split timeline or, you know, a prismatic perspective or whatever it is, flashbacks, letters, I'm always looking for new ways to construct 
the storytelling experience because I, you know, I want to do this for a long time and I don't want to be predictable. But you also just can't please everyone. And there will be people who, you know, just think they know what it is without reading it. And, and that's fine. That's fine. I don't need to sell to everyone. <laughs> no. And I think I'm, I'm the new girl on the block. So I think people are still trying to work out where to put me if you know what I mean. <laughs> and it's so weird when you first get your covers and you, you know, you get shown your covers and you get shown your titles and your, because when, you know, when we're writing the books, they're just documents that, I don't know whether you write in Word, but I do. I just write the world's longest yeah, Word do. document. <laughs> and yeah. so to me, it's just, you know, this very long do Word document. I have no idea how it's going to be branded, marketed, how it's actually going to look on the shelves. And, you know, I've written like, 26 books now so now I, I obviously do have an idea of how it's going to look but it's you know to us it's just the story it's just the energy between the characters how it actually is presented on the shelves as a finished product is you know that's a whole other journey there's a whole massive team behind the scenes having their meetings and putting their heads in their hands going what do they mean Himalayas you know <laughs> What does she mean? What was she thinking? Why couldn't she just stay in Dorset? You know, but it's interesting that, you know, how it's marketed is not necessarily how you thought. It's interesting, isn't it? That, you know, publishing, yeah, publishing, you know, has these ways or publishing all the world, you know, in general has these ways that they sort of like to box things, kind of sort things out. You know, where does this go in the shop? What, you know, what does this mean? Who are we pushing this to? And um, they're useful to a degree, but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure many writers, you know, feel in some way sort of constricted by them or, or frustrated with them because no single label will sum up a book, which is always a much deeper, you know, the the book cover is the kind of the surface of the water. And then there's so much, you know, underneath. And I like to think this is a bit of self-advertisement here now for the shop, I'm afraid. But, you know, I like to think that sort of, you know, booksellers can be the sort of the bridge of that. You know, we're there to sort of fill in the gaps. And, you know, there's many times that, you know, you someone could be holding a book and they're sort of just looking at it and they're like, oh, I don't know if it's quite for me. But, you know, you'll go because they've told you what they like. Actually, it is. It's got this. It's got that. Things that, you know, that initial glance doesn't necessarily express. Absolutely. I mean, you are doing what, you know, for example, Amazon cannot. You know, you are giving that personal perspective. You are giving feedback. You're advising. You know, you could say, actually, it doesn't sound like this is what you want. You might prefer this. And it, again, it comes back to that thing of stories having that, that social interaction you know we want to share them and you you can tell from people's energy what they might need or what they might be looking for you know because if a book isn't right for you that's just frustrating you know if, if you're wanting if it's not hitting the spot that can really put you off whereas you know and, and I really do not like to not finish a book I, I personally do not do that but there's a lot of people who go oh no uh, no I just gave up after three chapters and, you know, and we as authors feel for that, that author who has been doing their best. But um, a book does have to work for the reader. And when it does work, it's absolutely amazing. So you as the bookseller, you, you know, that personal experience, that personal interaction, I think is key. Oh, Karen, we're going to get that as an audio clip and we're going to be sharing that everywhere. But we're not, that's very, Didn't I know it? Didn't I know that's it? Very, it's very kind of you. Uh, thank you. Um, although I, I'm aware that's, yeah, very kind. I don't want to sort of derail, you know, we're here to talk about you, about wonderful authors, you know, and what you bring. But that's um, very kind of you to say. One thing I also wanted to uh, look at and a similarity I've seen with your books. Now, obviously in two quite different ways but loss is quite sort of central to the stories you know Jenny you were saying there's this kind of you know a collective loss that kind of brings this group of together that hasn't been there previously and of course that's you know a human loss so you know so it has a sort of a wider impact you know and then Karen you've got you know it's interesting because you've got this loss it's a different loss it's a loss of of you know this child's toy which um although not a human life is still as you expressed earlier not an insignificant thing when it's the favorite toy it is felt as a loss you know for that child and I just I found that so interesting that in both of these stories that's kind of you know these two different types of loss are kind of the driving force behind them Jenny I don't know if that's something you you want to talk about more or or if that was that you know did that idea come to you and then it sort of built around that or was that sort of part of your plotting I think that was always going to be part of the book because I wanted their lost friend to still be a character 
and still have a place in mm. their lives mm. and in their story, even though he wasn't there anymore. And I think because it was a few years ago now, but somebody that I used to know took their own life and it was, and it, it did, it rocked everyone who knew him. And when we came together for the funeral, we sort of snapped back in some ways to the people that we had been. And we, and we, it was, there was so sort of, you know, we were so sad that we'd lost him, but there was so much nostalgia and all of those things that keep you together. And we all said, you know, we'll never, we'll never part again. We'll, we'll always stay in touch. But, but we didn't because it wouldn't have been right for us to, if you know what I mean. We had changed. We were different. And I think there is a danger of, you know, I think there's that, that thing. Do you remember when Friends Reunited came out and there was a spate all those years ago and there was this spate amongst you know, it was in the news and, and all over the place. But even in our own sort of community, we could see where old childhood sweethearts were suddenly ditching their, you know, their partners and, and running off with their people that they'd reconnected with from school. And, you know, I think, uh, but that's, they weren't necessarily going to last those relationships. It was just that they were so nostalgic that it felt like it was something more than it was. So anyway, my group of friends, we did not remain in contact, but... I wanted to pursue what would happen if a group of friends had remained in contact and gone back. So not having seen each other for a good five years and then been snapped back together and see where that puts them. So, yeah, that was sort of where I was coming from with that. Yeah. And that's such an emotionally kind of potent thing to start with. That's such a kind of a, a, you know, an engine to drive the story because, you know, it's something we all experience to a degree, you know, that kind of... um, the journey of a friendship, which can be really intense. And, you know, sometimes life just makes that sort of fitter away. So, it, you know, that is such an interesting idea to play with. And then Karen, you've got, the, you know, you've got this, there's this loss, but then through this loss, again, connection is is found. Mm. You know, where did the, you know, this idea of the toy in that way of, um, I know you said you saw the kind of the social media post, you know, you said that that you thought that was such an interesting way to bring, you know, two characters together. So it sounds like the story sort of developed from there. That was kind of the the nexus, yeah. as it were. Yes, I'm always looking for interesting ways to get characters together. But but actually, you know, the th- and so it, it is a lost toy that brings them into contact. But actually, both characters are driven by loss in their lives. In Natasha's case, she lost her parents young. And that drives her into a young marriage. You know, she finds safety in being in a marriage, having a home, starting a family, because she was she was an orphan. She was alone in the world. And that made her obviously feel incredibly insecure and, and afraid. So she has been almost driven towards domesticity by her loss. Tom, on the other hand, has lost, uh, Duffy has lost his, it transpires he's lost two people in his family. I won't say too much, but his way of dealing with it, with it was to almost not be feral, but to live a bigger life, a bolder life, to be fearless, to go out into the world. And he's a mountaineer and he wants to confront fear. And he does that by dangling off cliffs. But actually confronting fear isn't the same thing as confronting heartache, confronting loss. And so he is walking towards what he thinks is his destiny. He's going up there to face off against this ultimate fear. And they've both had loss in different ways. And they've responded as in, you know, completely opposite. Her life got smaller and safer and his got bigger and more dangerous and wilder, but actually also became emptier. He, he wasn't connecting with people in the same way. You know, he wasn't dealing with what had happened to him. And so it it really is a book about loss. And actually it's this very, very thin connection of this random lost toy that, you know, they they miss meeting each other by four hours, you know, and, but then their lives have sort of brought back into contact and it's these glancing blows. And, you know, he sort of ends up pulling her away from what she chose and she's, pulling him away from what he is choosing. And it's just this tension of, you know, this growing bond. Um, And I just, yeah, I found it really interesting to, I loved having the, as a writer, 
to write such entirely different scenes one after the other required a lot of mental agility. It was hard to sort of get momentum going because, you know, I'd write a scene in Dorset and then I'd have to go back to Nepal, um, (laughs) which was quite tricky. But it was really good fun. And, you know, we sort of have them intersecting uh, and, you know, this sense of them moving far apart across the globe and then this connection on the internet. But then also towards the end of the book, the, the construction of the chapters changes so that eventually, they're, as they're, literally their lives are merging, the chapters merge. And again, as a writer, I loved just, you know, the experience of writing, of constructing the book in that way uh, made it really interesting for me and hopefully brings pace and drama for the reader in the finale. Yes, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm sure it will. <laughs> yes, that's all. That's, that's always a, a, when uh, you know it doesn't matter which authors you're speaking to. There's always that sense they'll say something and then go, and hopefully that's what the reader will find. You <laughs> yeah, know, that's because there's no guarantees, <laughs> and for some people it won't hit the mark. You know, but hopefully it will for many. <laughs> I mean, again, that's one of the wonderful things about, you know, writing and and reading. Different books speak to different people. But that's why as well, you know, it's so important to kind of look beyond the categorization of books as well and to kind of just pick up the things that kind of speak to you because you can you can make the kind of the most wonderful discoveries. But also podcasts like this are so good because, you know, I mean, I'm loving hearing about, you know, Jenny's book and how she's put it together. And it's like, you, you really get to hear about the beating heart of a book when you actually get to discuss it. When we're not even going into, you know, massively details about because you want people to have a fresh experience when they read it. But I think it's, I think podcasts are so brilliant for being able to give that extra dimension um, for readers. Absolutely. Karen, you're giving us a lot of, um, you're giving us a lot of quotes just to advertise the shop and to advertise what we're doing, let alone your own I mean, book. You're, you're giving us too much here. I'm a one-woman advertising machine, <laughs> what can I tell you? Well, I do feel, unfortunately, I, I could speak to both of you forever about, you know, the books we love and your stories, but I do have to bring us to a close. I just want to thank you both for joining us here at Mostly Books Meets. Both Meet Me Under the Mistletoe and the Christmas Postcards will be available in our shop and online as well, but it will be available in wherever your local bookshop is. Uh, It will be available in your library, just wherever you can find a copy, pick one up. I, every year, create a Christmas list for myself of books I'll read over the Christmas period when I have, you know, a bit more free time you have just made selecting that list much harder because now <laughs> now now i have to add more books into the mix but that's um that's never a bad thing so jenny bayliss karen swan thank you for joining us on mostly books meets thank you jack thank, thank you. you thank you so much for inviting me oh our absolute pleasure thank you and that marks the end of the fifth season of mostly books meets Thank you to all of our wonderful listeners. If you have enjoyed this season, then do check out our previous episodes on your favourite podcast player. And if you would like to see what we get up to in between seasons, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at mostlybooks underscore shop and Twitter at mostlyreading. And of course, see you again in the new year for our next season. Thank you. All of the books mentioned during the podcast are available to buy from the Mostly Books website. This podcast has been presented and produced by members of the team at Mostly Books in Abingdon. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe because apparently it helps people find us.